This podcast is shareable. Shareable is the podcast fueled entirely by curiosity. Every episode features exciting guests who share valuable advice and insights, how-to guides, and practical takeaways. Join me as I explore the awe-inspiring stories about overcoming the odds, the secret formulas that gave each guest their unique superpower, and the moments that remind us of our shared humanity. Get ready to be excited, delighted, and possibly even astonished, because this podcast is shareable. Welcome, or welcome back to Shareable. I'm your host, Jeff Gibbard. You know me. Today, my guest, Jackie and Singer. And I'm not going to introduce her. I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Tell people that aren't familiar with you something that they should know about you, the most important thing that they should know about you. The most important thing that people should know about me is that I won a breakdance contest in fourth grade. That's what's up. It's probably... The most important thing I was captain of my break captain of my breakdance club. So I think if there's anything to know about me, it's that. Secondarily, maybe <laughs> that I built a career in leadership and team dynamics, facilitation and training, um, which I love. I have um, a husband and two amazing boys, two teenagers, and a huge enormous dog who's my daughter. She's 135 pound Newfoundland, and that's my crew. And uh, yeah, I love, I love my purpose and passion with my career and um, I'm sticking to the breakdancing story. That's a, that's a good story. <laughs> I know a little bit also about your background that you have an eclectic background. There's some investment banking in there and now you're doing yes. uh, the work that you're doing now. And I think that's so interesting and we have a gajillion overlaps and I'm super excited to get into so many things with you. So uh, let me no. ask you the big question that starts everything off properly. Helps me really mm -hmm. get to know you. Jackie, what's the dent you wish to make in the universe? The dent in the universe. What I really want to achieve here is starting a cascade of positivity that I feel like is so essential in the world in general and in the world we live in today more than ever. And if people understand the empowerment they have to actually create that change to be that domino and the impact of that, that multiplies when more people shift into that mode, I'd be so thrilled to, to continue being part of that movement and help make it bigger. Well, I'm positive that this is going to be a very interesting episode because I have a gajillion questions for you about this subject. Um, and I want to be both a believer and a skeptic uh, throughout this because Okay. I'm a fairly optimistic person. I think I bring a lot of energy and joy into the interactions I have. Um, but I also see a lot of problems in the world. And I want to talk to you about uh, things that are intrinsic, things that are extrinsic, and how those things interact with the idea of positivity and, and all of that. Um, but I want to kind of set some some uh, framework, or, or I'm sorry, not framework, uh, like a foundation for this conversation, because I kind of need to know where you're coming from. Um, okay. So I know a little bit about your background from having looked into you, uh, information you've submitted to me, things I've listened to. So I know a little bit about you, but I want you to kind of give a bit of a, a journey to hear just a bit of an origin story, because I'm actually interested to know you as a person, like did the mm -hmm. positive psychology, the positivity thing, did that 
come into your life or was that like kind of baked in from the start? Like how, how some people are really naturally kind of, um, they're naturally positive people. My wife is like a Disney princess. Like she legitimately <laughs> just brings that kind of energy to the world. And I think it's baked into her. And then there's some people who like, there's a point in their life where something shifts and then they become more positive or more negative and jaded. And I'm curious, given the work that you do and that you wrote a book about this and you coach people and like, this is your world. I'm curious if you had to work for this, like not, not in credentials or anything, but I mean, in terms <laughs> yeah. of the outlook, you know what I'm saying? Is it, is it core to who you are? Or is it something that you had to learn and, and develop? So take us through kind yeah. of the origin of you. Yeah. So I'm always a default positive person. It's always been my natural state. I love the reframe. I love looking for new opportunities. I'm solution focused ever since I was really little, it was moving into how do I see this in a better way? Part of it is I'm really uncomfortable in negative spaces, right? So the tendency when you're uncomfortable in negative spaces is to find the other way to look at it, to find a solution, to find a reframe, to find the lining, right? That works a lot of the time, right? A good majority of the time, I think that works. However, I think part of my journey has been when you become a master of avoidance, which some of that can be in, in the extreme, right? When you're looking for the positive all the time, you might not look at and act upon something that needs to be um, handled appropriately. That could be a problem. And instead you're trying to find another way around it. So I think since I was little, my default has been positive. My default always is optimistic. And part of that was discomfort in negative spaces my growth journey has been a lot about what I call practical optimism, right? Which is leaning into reality, looking at what is like the thing, right? Instead of um, avoidance, because we don't have the luxury of avoidance and, you know, dealing with leaders too, like there's no such thing as luxury of avoidance, like really look at the thing, look at reality, and then look toward the future with that positive lens of what are some possibilities to this challenge? What are some solutions in this situation? And and the belief that we can figure this out together. And so that's where that practical optimism piece comes in. But generally, I not generally, my default is always leaning toward that optimistic um, glass half full side. Did you have a moment where, because you, you brought up the tendency to look for the positive and maybe avoid the negative. And that really mm -hmm. resonates with me. And I have my own story I, I can get into in a bit. But um, did you have a moment in your life where you kind of, your 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 avoidance ran out and you kind of yeah. smacked head first in and realized that you were yeah. avoiding things and had to actually deal with the negativity. Um, yeah. 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 I did. Talk, talk me yeah. through that. You know, I, I look back at my life and I think similar to you this way, um, I see a series of moments that matter, I call them. And when you reflect back, there's these different moments that you didn't realize were so critical in your development and your choices and your path in your life that kind of connect the dots and maybe a squiggly line, but they really set you in different paths. And I think the moment for this one, um, I know we said, we're going to get into childhood trauma, but here we go. Um, I, you know, I grew up in Miami and in my middle school, I was in a middle school, um, that had a lot of gangs and, um, it, it was a lot of gangs. And there was a moment where I was threatened by one of the girl gangs. My life was threatened when I was um, 13 and um, it got to the point where I could not reframe, could not get through this situation just by trying to be the friendly one, trying to be the one that 
everybody liked, right? Um, and tried to kind of toe that line with the girl gangs, kind of just being like, if you don't, if I don't call attention to myself, I'll slide by. And it hit that moment. And I couldn't, I couldn't reframe. I couldn't avoid, I couldn't pretend it was really a terrifying moment. And, and that's when, um, I, I actually faced it and I, I shared with my parents and cause I was, you know, in that people pleasing, everything's good, you know, type of mindset or a play, you know, play mindset kind of, I guess. And, and then I, I confronted this reality and, um, my parents got involved and we were able to extract me from the, the situation and actually the school. So it was, uh, that was the moment where I kind of realized, um, you know, I didn't have to let it get that bad. And maybe if you look at the thing before it becomes a problem, it never has to become a problem of that proportion. So I kind of have really tried to live by the idea of looking at the reality of the situation and making really intentional decisions of trying to address things before they become a problem. So they never actually have to become an uncomfortable situation as if you let it go. I, I'm a big fan of superheroes. I don't know if you know about this about me, but uh, I write a I lot do. about becoming superhuman and what it means to be a superhero and all these different things. And what theme that keeps coming up is sort of the the things that are our greatest strengths often also reveal our greatest weaknesses. And mm-hmm. um, in your case, what you're talking about is this sort of like looking for positivity can often lead you to ignore the negativity. And in my own experience, I found there was a, a traumatic thing that happened in my life that uh, it was so traumatic and it was so um, sad and depressing for me that I just kind of shut that off. But what it did is it kind of blunted my joy as well. So I found myself in this sort of mm-hmm. like very flat emotive state for a number of years until kind of all came crashing and then was able to kind of more experience highs and lows and things. Um, you deal with people in leadership roles uh, and all of them are really just giant bags of childhood trauma as well. I, I, I'm... <laughs> I mean, we all are. I've never right? heard a human described that way. That's yeah, I mean, let's be real. We're all just walking around <laughs> yeah, yeah. big old traumatic backgrounds, no matter yep. our, no matter where we came from, right? But um, yep. I, I'm curious, kind of two pieces here, um, and maybe you can weave these together for me. So one, my my first observation thing I'm curious about is that, that people come from a lot of different circumstances, and you you describe something that is extremely traumatic, having your life threatened at 13. And there's a lot of people that grow up in circumstances where they may have multiple, multiple, multiple versions of that sort of traumatic experience. A lot of negativity that they're surrounded with. They grow up in a very negative surrounding. Could be mm-hmm. their parents. It could be their environment. It could be any number of different things. And I'm curious if you feel that people who grow up with a greater degree of negativity surrounding them early on have a more difficult time embracing a positive outlook. Um, and and I guess let's just start with that one. I'll I'll, I'll reserve my second one for the follow up. You know, I don't necessarily see that. And, and at least in the work that I do, and I think the reason why, and you know, this is, I I'm thinking on the fly here, but the the reason why I, I feel that that might be the case is because all of these people are leaders. They all have had incredible career achievements at this point. Most of them are high achievers and the mindset behind being a high achiever often comes with a very big belief in accomplishment that you can accomplish to get as far as you do, to be able to see possibilities for yourself, to be able to take those risks, to take the next step, to raise your hand for a promotion. Some, so much of that comes from that risk-taking 
optimism outlook. And maybe it's not your default, but it is a place that you have to go in order to continue to move up and achieve at that pace in your life and get to that point. I think there's got to be some level of that in there that I see and that belief. And maybe part of it is you were in that environment and yet you had a different mindset. You had a different belief, which is what got you out of it. And I think sometimes what I see is people that can rise from and out of some really challenging situations. It's because they did have a different type of belief system or mindset that enabled them and empowered them to move out of that space. So you mentioned um, encouraging the leaders you work with to kind of take things as they are, kind of see see the world as it is, but all, all reality is subjective, right? So you can see the same circumstances mm-hmm. from a lot of standpoints. So you almost have to, given kind of your, your previous statements around like looking for the positive outlook and, and avoiding potentially things that are just uncomfortable, how much, how important is it when working with leaders to encourage them to actually for a moment maybe avoid the positive and actually really take a very sober look and go down the rabbit hole of how negative things could be so that you're able to have some perspective to contrast and compare against like how important in the work of positive psychology and using that as a driver of success how important is looking at things negatively as as part of that practice you know i think i just don't think of it in that sense i think of it as more of a looking at you know what is and boiling it down to the facts because you're right everybody can have a completely different story on the same set of facts so getting down to what are the facts of this situation what are different possible outcomes from this and how do we make sure that we're covering as many bases as we can prepare for given the information that we have to still come to some solutions and some outcomes that are moving us in the right direction so i don't necessarily look at it as let's take away the positive and look at the negative. I look at it as like, here's the facts, what are potential, you know, different ways that this can go and how are we best prepared from this really, um, you know, a thorough comprehensive team focused way, you know, leveraging the different people and the different resources we have. So I think still the lens is coming from a place of solution focused, progress focused, movement focused, where do we need to adapt in this situation and be prepared, but I don't necessarily think of it in that way. Okay. Okay. I'm willing to buy that. Let me ask you this then. <laughs> yeah. um, if we're looking at, if we take the term, so, so your book, the, the headline on it, I love it. A leader's playbook. I love that. Cause mm-hmm. my book is a new manager's handbook. So uh-huh. similar, similar ideas there. Um, but let, let's take the word leader and I'm going to define that for the sake of the question I'm about to ask you, but I see a leader as a person who just has a belief that they are worth following and that they give people good reasons to follow them. A leader is somebody who um, sets a course to somewhere and then they do things in such a way that people are willing to follow them to that destination, right? So that can be anybody. It doesn't have to be a C-suite executive. It could be anybody at any stage of any organization. So if, if if you'll grant me that as the... Uh, foundation for the question I'm about to ask you, which is how, when you're thinking about in uh, a, a team and the idea that there could be leaders in any uh, any part of the team, how much of the um, ability to create an environment of positivity is individual versus environmental or systemic? How much of when mm-hmm. you work with an organization and 
say you're working with somebody in the C-suite and they want to have a team full of people who are thinking positively and who are assessing situations. And how much of that is about working with each individual to get through their own stuff? And how much of it is about listening to what they all need collectively to create the environment where that can be the case? You know, because if you have a, a room full of people who are all, let's say, underpaid and underbenefited, like you could mm -hmm. do as much as you want, but there's a good likelihood that their needs aren't being met and it's going to be a more uphill battle. So my question is in 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 growing a a bench of leaders, a team of leaders, where do you kind of fall on the balance of how much the the title-based leader has to devote towards working with individuals versus addressing the environment? I think both need to happen, honestly. If somebody's not paid fairly or not treated fairly or doesn't care about their work or doesn't feel connected to it or purpose to it or that's meaningful to them, I think you're not going to be set up for success with that person because they're they're missing and lacking what they need to just show up feeling that um, commitment or fulfillment in their work. And that's, we know from research after research after research, right? Like it's, it's not about the promotion and the pay as much as it is. I mean, assuming pay, pay is fair, right? Um, it's, it's about that connection to the work. It's about feeling like I I'm valued here and that's a huge, and the purpose and the meaning to the person, especially as we have Gen Z moving into the workforce, right? By 2025, that'll be 30% of the workforce. And that's so important to them and millennials as well. Like 76% of millennials say they'll leave if they don't feel valued by their leader. So we've got those pieces in place where just the, the, the part about the work and the part about the fairness from a, from a company standpoint is really key. And, you know, I'm going to answer your question in two parts in terms of what the leader, how much is the leader's responsibility or, um, you know, effort and energy into the individuals. I think into the individuals is key because if you don't know how somebody feels valued and they're going to leave, if they don't feel valued, then you can value them in a way that they don't feel valued and they'll leave. Right. So getting curious, asking those questions, because if you feel valued in a different way than I feel valued, and I'm trying to show you value in the way I feel it, you're like, I don't feel valued and you quit. Right. So 76% of the time. So that's where we need to really check in with people and make that connection, right? And Microsoft Work Index studied, showed 85% of people say the number one thing they want from their leader is authenticity. So as a leader, being authentic, creating those authentic connections, finding out how people feel valued. How do you want feedback? What does support look like to you? All of those things are so key. And I'm going to add a new layer from a team building perspective, spreading that optimism and positive outlook, which I do want to like distill from positive thinking, right? Positive thinking, just like rainbows and butterflies. That's not what we're talking about. So bringing that positivity and using that part of your brain, right? Um, there's something called emotional contagion. I don't know. Have you heard of this concept? I have not, but it feels like the sort of term where it's like, I feel like I know what that means, but, but please uh -huh. uh, elaborate the gaps in between probably what the word just sounds like it means. Yep. So just like it sounds right. It's the spontaneous spread of emotion from person to person or through a group, which can be good or bad. What happens is our brain can read and identify someone else's emotions and take them on in 33 milliseconds, 33 milliseconds study show, put three complete strangers in a room for two minutes. Whoever has the most dominant emotion will spread to the other two, good or bad. They don't even know each other. Right? So as a leader, what happens, there's a cascade effect. So as a leader, you spread your emotion, mood, and outlook to the layer below you and the layer below them. 
because of the power of your position and your disposition combined, it spreads three layers. So the cascade effect of how you choose to show up in a single moment impacts all of those layers through that emotional contagion. And can I add one more thing here? Cause it's super cool. I think you're going to love this since we've been I'm here to learn. Earth, we so decided go off big studies by Harvard business review show when you have a positive outlook, productivity goes up 31%, sales go up 37%, profits 50%, and the negative impact of stress goes down 23%. And as a leader, when you just choose when I'm going to click my camera on at a meeting, how I'm going to walk into the room if it's in person, in that moment, 33 milliseconds, you will spread this to these people in the room and they will spread it to the people they interact with. You can control bottom line results in that instance through positivity, through showing up intentionally by being deliberate with that practical optimism, not that, you know, like pie in the sky thinking, but the practical optimism, you can change a whole cascade effect for your entire company, how people feel and the, their performance. So you just laid out what sounds like kind of an ironclad case. Just going to put it out there. Numbers, numbers don't lie there, you know, uh, and, and it makes sense if you've been around other people, how much somebody's vibe could really wear off on you. Right. Oh, so, yeah. okay. So I'm buying that. So hmm. the natural follow-up to that is like, why aren't we doing it more frequently? Like why? And this is part of the reason why I wrote my book, right? Like I wrote my book because I was like, why are managers so awful? Like, why do people keep <laughs> leaving bad managers? Why do we keep having toxic work environments? Why do we keep having infighting on teams? Like why, why all this stuff, yeah. right? So you've, you've laid out a case and I think obviously there's like the pressures of the market and jobs and things, right? Like, so there's that. Well, we're talking yeah. about a choice. We're talking about, making a choice to do things in a slightly different way. So we're we're at a point now where we have to identify what's the conflict. So there's two things that I want you to cover. The first is a basic thing that you kind of, um, you said it, but I want to make sure we take a second to just make a distinction for people. But then I want to talk about why is it so hard? So the first thing I want you to answer is just if you could unpack a little bit more difference between positive thinking mm-hmm. and having like a positive outlook or, or incorporating positivity into your way of being. So that's the first thing, just as a sort of a, a definition, because I think for some people, the, those might sound like the same thing, like, oh, well, I'm just going to look on the bright side of life. And that that's not what we're or like, I'm just going to be nice to people, but there's something mm-hmm. deeper there. And I was hoping you could just kind of maybe lay yeah, out a little bit of the differences. But then from there, if you can take us into like, well, why is it not happening? Because it would seem like this is a pretty straightforward thing. Because if it's only going to take milliseconds, for your vibe to rub off on other people, like just throw on a smile, like, let's go, yeah. Let, let's get your head in the right. Why is it so hard? Why isn't it happening? Okay. So the first part, um, you know, I love to describe positive psychology because most people don't know what it means and they think it's fluffy. So positive psychology is actually a real science, you know, studied with MRI studies. And it's really about how do we build what's strong, not just fix what's wrong. And that's how you can kind of separate it. The way that I like to describe it, that seems to click for a lot of people is if you picture a number line, right? Negative numbers to the left, positive numbers to the right, zero in the middle. Picture zero as your baseline, your normal. Traditional psychology is the study, right? Of the dips into the negative numbers and how to get back to normal, right? How to fix what's broken, how to heal what's wrong. And that is so important. And that is so critical. Yet 
we don't focus on this whole other side of the number line, right? Where all of the amazing things happen. And I think that's where our potential lives, right? In that positive side of the number line. When you think about normal is not a stopping point, right? Because the absence of sadness is not happiness. The absence of sickness is not health. The absence of poor performance is not great performance, right? Normal is a baseline and positive psychology is the positive side of the number line. It doesn't take away from the negative side. It doesn't take away from regular traditional psychology. It's the other extent of it. It's the other side that we haven't focused on. And so when positive psychology was founded in this whole, um, this whole idea of, wait, why don't we also look into what pe- makes people thrive? What makes people excel instead of just trying to get to normal? And so that's what the studies became is how do we optimize our brain? What do we need to do to get into that place of thriving? You know, and so much is coming from, you know, having that positive optimistic outlook does lead to success that precedes success, right? There's so many things about relationships and being in authentic, connected relationships that leads to these things. So we study the things that build what's good, the things that build, um, our happiness and our positivity and our joy and our success and so much of it. And I combine a lot of neuroscience too, so I won't go there yet. <laughs> Sorry. So, so let me just reflect back and just yeah. make sure, because it, here's kind of what it felt like to me is that, um, so I have ADHD and one of the things that I deal with is executive dysfunction. There's going to be times where like, no matter how much I want to do a thing, it just looks like I'm sitting on the couch and being lazy, but it's just that I just can't get started that the, 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 it's just too much and there's not a start button, right? The other side of that is my hyper-focused flow. And in eight hours, I'm getting 40 hours of work done and it's ridiculous, right? So what we're talking about with positive psychology is that there's a flow state, a hyper-focus, but it doesn't mean you don't suffer from executive dysfunction, right? You're going to hit home runs, but you're also still going to strike out, right? So positive psychology isn't this idea that you can just stay in the uber productive, amazing, positive, everything's great zone. It's that you're learning how to be there more often. You're learning what it feels like and you're learning how to try and get there more reliably. Is that? Yes. Right. So we would study you and say, what are these triggers that put you into that hyper state? Mm -hmm. You know, that hyper flow state, what are the things that put you there? How do you stay there? What does that look like? How do we maintain it? Let's take a group of people who are in that similar thing. What are these overlaps? What are these patterns? How do we make that a little more predictable? And maybe there are some ways or tools or things that are replicable that you can use to more quickly move in there when you're feeling that, you know, I don't have that start button and this feels too much at once. And I have, and, you know, I have a son who has the same thing and it's that feeling of like, I don't even know where to start. I can't even start. Yep. versus that that flow state and looking at it as like what's the what's in the environment for you that makes it easier what are these tips and tricks and tools we can do right and that's the theories in positive psychology is how do we build the, the strong parts and those strengths to put you into a place where you're really thriving and flourishing and it is it's the study of what makes individuals and communities thrive that's the study and so that's what we're trying to do is instead of looking at the you know, the studies that show things that go wrong or how do we get everybody to average? It's like, no, wait, these are the people that are the outliers on the positive side. How do we get to be more like that? Mm. What are those things that are going on? And that's what we're trying to do is elevate everyone right into that. state. what, what are these things that we can do to get there? So then back to the conflict question of why don't we do it more often? One thing that occurs to me after you saying that and, and kind of going through this is, is one you know, 
I would imagine there's part of it where you could train a leader how to do this, but that doesn't necessarily, back to your point of like valuing people the way they want to be valued versus the way you want to be valued, the way that it's going to resonate with one person about how to play in that positive psychology space a little bit more is going to potentially be different than it is for someone else. So that's one thing that occurs to me, but are are there are there big reasons that you've discovered mm-hmm. that tend to stop individuals or teams from playing there more regularly or or succeeding at creating these sorts of environments based in positive psychology? You know, m- mainly what I find is that people don't know this stuff. They don't realize that the power, the opportunity they have to shift and cascade moods and what those moods actually create in terms of outcomes. They don't have that information, right? So once you share that, I see such a shift of like, oh my gosh, I need to be so much more intentional. Like if I'm stressed out, I just walk in stressed out. Like that's transparency, right? And that, I think there's a lot of awareness that needs to happen. And when awareness starts, it's much easier to see stuff happening. The other reason where I see a conflict is we have negativity bias. That's how our brain works. It keeps us safe, right? Bad is so much stronger than good in our brains, right? If you have, do you have kids? Yeah, I have two. Okay. So, you know, the moment you lost it on your kids and, you know, is so much stronger than all the good parenting moments you had that week, that one fight with your spouse, you know, takes over in your mind, all of just the nice moments you have that time you're sick takes overall, you know, it just works that way. And studies show even, I mean, anybody who's had a review with a boss, that one feedback that wasn't positive is the one that spins like a broken record over all the good things they said. And one of the research that stands out, cause it so resonates with me. If you give a talk to say 50 people, 49 people are like, that's amazing. One person's like waste of my time, right? Where does your mind go? That yep. one literally person. just had it. And, and the negative feedback wasn't even negative. She just gave me like some, like, Hey, this one part kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And I, and immediately I was like, I totally see it now. That whole talk was crap. I'm the worst and everyone hates me. And meanwhile, like accolades after accolades, after accolades and reviews coming back, this was awesome. This one person who like out of the kindness of their heart, like gave me the review and said, loved you as a speaker, but this one part and like done for like the day was, was the, the negative. Yeah, absolutely. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. And there you are as a default optimist yep. still, right? That one out of like bad can be 50 times stronger than good. When you look at that example, right? If there's 50 people giving you ratings. And so that's what happens. Our brain defaults and spins to the negative. And so that's where I think some of it is harder. It's a practice, right? You can say, I'm going to show up with a, you know, a great outlook. It doesn't mean I'm always going to be happy and bubbly and positive, but with a positive outlook, right? That belief that we're going to get through this, we're going to figure it out. And even in hard times, you can come in with that belief. I don't know what the answer is yet. I mean, all through COVID, right? Leaders would come on their screens. They've never been remote. They're like, I don't know yet how this is going to play out, but I know we're going to figure it out. I know we're going to get ahead of this and we're going to get through this. That's where people started getting that trust from their teams. That's where that connection and that authenticity and that psychological safety was built in that type of belief. And it doesn't mean like we're all good guys because nobody would believe that, right? That's not authentic. You need that intersection of authenticity and positivity. That's that magical spot. And so when you're there, that's where people believe in you and want to, as in your words, right, follow you um, and be part of what you're leading and what you're growing. And, you know, and, and, and in, in addition to follow me, I'm really of the mindset of come with me, 
rather than follow me as a leader. And, you know, together we will do this. And that, that feeling of that cohesiveness, I think is really key too. Our uh, mutual friend, Lou Diamond in his book, Speak Easy talks about showing up, right? Like he talks about this idea mm-hmm. that like every time, and you can hear it, you, you've spoken to them on his podcast and you know, he's, he's ready for those interviews. Like he shows up, he's got the energy. Yes. And I just come to believe that that's how he always is, but I know he's not like, I know there's gotta be times where he's down, right? So that's one of his pieces of advice when he talks about how to be a great interviewer, how to be a great conversationalist. I'm curious if you have any tips like that, any things that practical takeaways for this episode that somebody could just keep in mind if they want to affect people better in those milliseconds that they have and affect their own chances of success by bringing in a few different, um, you know, things that they can do on a regular basis that they're going to impact them. So do you have anything like that that you can offer? No, nothing at all. Just kidding. Um, yeah. <laughs> Good night, everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Good luck. Um, so yes. Um, yes, I do. Um, one is that emotional contagion and remembering every time you walk in a room, every time you hit the camera on, on your zoom screen, when you interact with your children, your spouse, your family members, be intentional in that moment. How do I want to show up? What do I want to spread? because it is contagious. We all know that feeling. And the more we can start spreading that, it doesn't mean we're not dealing with reality. It doesn't mean we're not having the hard conversations, but it's being intentional about how we want to spread this energy to people because it continues to cascade. Your kid goes to school. They spread that to their friends. Their friends spread it to their siblings. And the t- it just keeps going. So that's where that movement happens. That's where that big multiplier effect can happen. So that's number one, just a practical, just decide when you open the door. What do I want to spread today? What do I want to spread in this moment? And to these people, that's number one. Number two, I think one of the greatest tools to help build the positivity in your brain is shifting to gratitude. And I know gratitude always felt fluffy. It is a real hard science now. It is the quickest way to change your brain, truly change your brain. And so if you picture like pathways in your brain, right, we default negative in order to start switching and building those roads to start being able to move into a positive side more fluidly, it's by practicing gratitude. And the reason behind it is when you start to scan for things you're grateful for, you're training your brain to scan for what's good and what's right, not what's wrong and what's missing. So you're countering this default negative by starting to look, what things am I grateful for from the day? Oh yeah, that, oh yeah, that. Oh yeah, that. And this, what's happening is you're building all of these memories of what's good and what's right. And you're starting to boost that pathway. And what you notice if you practice this daily is throughout the day, I always do it at bedtime throughout the day, you start noticing that you're scanning for things you're grateful for. So things you might not have noticed as positives, you'll start to notice as positives and you're starting to train your brain to be a default positive scanner of the world versus default neutral or default negative. And that shifts all of how we start showing up. It is the quickest way, 21 days to change your brain. If you do that um, every day for three minutes, actually two minutes a day. Mm -hmm. That's great. Uh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, uh, since habits are really hard for me, uh, I'm a really big fan of uh, BJ Fogg's tiny habits and incorporating Mm. important things into very tiny habits and trying to 
uh, like James Clear and Atomic Habits and, and also in BJ Fogg's Tiny Habits, but like uh, habit stacking, like trying to say, when I do this, then I'm going to do this. And when I do that, then I'm going to do that and trying to yep. build up a cascade of, of positive things happening. So I'm going to incorporate some of that as well. Um, so I want to get to uh, a section I call the shareables, which is where you recommend things like we do on social media, where I'm going to ask you a few things that you would recommend for people. But before we do that, I just want to ask you if you could uh, attempt to look back on everything we've talked about thus far and try to summarize what you would say, the one clear takeaway that you want someone who has been listening to this episode intently, like what do you want them to take away from this episode as the the number one thing? If they forgot everything else as as the you know episode that they've just listened to fades into the background of their day or week, what's the one thing you want them to remember and hold on to? You know, I think that's such a great question because we talked about so many different things, but what I would say stands out to me is the world can be really hard and there could be brutal, challenging, hard times. And we're not pretending it's not, but you have this power, this spark in you that you can control, right? When everything else feels out of our control, you can control this spark that you can light up like a firework show and decide to create positive change in not just you, but all the people around you just by choosing how you decide to show up in a moment. And that is something that we all can control no matter what's going on in the world. So to hold on to that and to really capitalize on that is a benefit for everybody. I love it. That's a really great takeaway. All right. So I want to get into the shareables. Uh, whole idea of the shareables is just this idea of, um, you know, when we post things on social media, what do we do it for? It's because we we want to entertain people, want to inform people, we want attention, we think something's cool and we just want to let others know about it. So I've structured this part of the show really just around four things that I am always interested in hearing about. Um, so these are the shareables. And the very first shareable is what is something that you have read? It could be anything that is in words that you have read with your eyes. What is something you've read that you would recommend everyone read? Happiness Advantage by Sean Aker. Um, I don't know. Have you read that book? I haven't, but I am a bookophile okay. and I am always looking for new books to add. So uh, oh. it's part of the reason why this is the first question. Yeah, he's amazing. Um, he's one of my like mentor and people I just uh, revere basically in this field. Number one happiness researcher in the world. He is Oprah's happiness guru. If you can think about like an amazing position to be in, he's a happiness researcher and he's funny. And this book talks about practical applications of this happiness research in a way that's really fun to read. Outstanding. I did a, mm -hmm. a just, you're reminding me, I completely uh, did not uh, piece this together, but uh, you should talk to Kendra Reddy if you don't know her. Uh, she was on my podcast and we did an entire episode talking about happiness and what that means. And she was amazing. And I love her so much and I want to have her back on my show, but maybe like we get the three of us together and Ooh. like do like a big, like happiness buffet or something. Oh, I'm getting off track right now, but <laughs> yes, perhaps. Kendra. Come back to it. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll come back to that with you. Uh, second shareable question or the shareables that is, uh, is what's something that you have listened to that you think everybody should listen to? This could be music. It could be a podcast. It could be an audio book. It could be anything, but it has to be something you can listen to. Okay. Well, two different, very different things just came to my mind. Can I share both? Yes, please do. Um, so I don't know if everybody's going to love this, but something I've been listening to a lot is I love that Spotify can have all these, their playlists on their own and mine. So I've been listening to a lot of Yacht Rock lately. Love I it. just find it like super chilling. Like, yep. um, so instead of creating my own, which feels very pressury to me to remember things, um, Spotify has been putting together all these awesome Yacht, yacht Rock playlists. So 
I know went through a yacht rock thing that. like a year ago. <laughs> it was the weirdest thing because somebody posted about it on Facebook in my network. They said something. I was like, what the hell is yacht rock? And I put it on. I was like, this is so that. easy listening. It's so chill. That is yacht yeah. rock. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. Good great stuff. road trip music. We do a yeah. lot of road trips at our house. Um, the other thing is more maybe uh, maybe same or other group of people. There's the book, The Source by Dr. Tara Swart. Um, amazing book. And it brings um, the science of neuroscience into a way that we can understand and use it. It's almost like this intersection of neuroscience and spirituality mm -hmm. in a really, really cool way. And her voice is beautiful. I love listening to this book. Awesome. I always love a good mm -hmm. narrator as well. Mm -hmm. um, all right. Third, uh, third of the shareables is what's something you've watched that you think everybody should watch. It could be a TV show. It could be a movie. It could be a TED talk. It could be a YouTube video. It could be whatever you like, but what's something that somebody should watch? I think every single person on the planet should watch Ted Lasso. Boom. Yes. A hundred percent. One thousand percent. One of the best mm -hmm. shows I've ever watched in my life. Love it so much. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Ever. And I, you know, and the example I use with Ted Lasso is during the beginning of the pandemic, when we were on lockdown and there was so much of the unknown and all the fear and everybody was in this, you know, crazy anticipation state, he made everybody smile yeah. and through the TV screen. So yep. Ted Lasso created global emotional contagion, right? So when you think about that impact that he could have through the TV screen, that character, it's unbelievable. And so that's, that's that perfect epitome example of emotional contagion that can happen even through a screen. I have to ask you two follow-up questions. And I know this is not a normal part of my shareables piece, but like I have two, two follow-up questions for you. One, what character or characters resonate mm -hmm. most with you on Ted Lasso with you personally? Like you like, like I see who would I be that. on the show? Not know who you would I... be, but like what, cause I, I don't think it's ever one person. Right. But like, the, right. like what, what people parts resonated with you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like the combination of Rebecca and Ted Lasso a okay. little bit. I, well, that kind of that combination. I wish I had a little more Roy Kent. Um, you know, like my husband's more Roy Kent. So I'm I, uh, equal parts yeah. Roy Kent and Ted Lasso. And, okay. and I have a drop of beard in me as well. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. And the occasional, occasional, um, um, Wonderkin, what's his name? Um, uh, why am I forgetting oh, his name right now? I just blanked his name too. Yeah. Yeah. But his, his vindictive, part of him. Like there's just a, Ooh, a little that? tiny, tiny, <laughs> tiny little bit of that there. Um, so, okay. So that was my first one was about like who, cause I'm definitely like equal parts Roy Kent and Ted Lasso on any given day. Um, awesome the, the second question is uh, have you, can you think of any other show that's as feel good as Ted Lasso in the history of television? Have you ever watched a show that just made you feel the way Ted Lasso makes you feel? I've been trying to think about an no, answer to that. No, I think the only one that I can think of that was always uplifting was Seinfeld, right? Like that was always a happy, uplifting. There was nothing stressful. Because they're terrible people, but it, yeah, it was right? an uplifting but it just, show. You, you know, yeah. you weren't supposed to feel like, I, I don't know. It just was like always funny and light and uplifting. Yeah. But Ted Lasso, the character development, the way that you were drawn to them, the heart yeah. of it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And they had their own trauma and they had their own, you know, horrible, you know, the divorce and his depression and his panic attacks. And all, like, there was, there was a lot of real stuff yeah. going on that wasn't always just light and funny. And so that connection to the characters that still had that uplifting side, it was so sad when it ended. I was like, wait, you're my friends. And yeah. everybody felt that way. Honest right? and feel so good. So spinoffs, sure. let's vote for spinoffs. Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, final question on the shareables is uh, what is something that you have learned that you'd just like to share with people? And this is my ADHD Google question. This is like, okay. a, oh, I wonder if you did. And like, it's a thing that you learn. It's not like a, this isn't meant to be like a heavy question. This is meant to be like a, did you know, weird kind of question, random trivia question type thing. Like, a, what's something you've learned and you'd like to share that? Okay. Well, something I've learned online, I wish I had something really funny to say, but I, the thing that's popping up in my mind right now is I don't, if, if anybody hasn't heard of the Harvard study of adult development, I think it is such an incredible life lesson. Have you heard of this study? I have not. Longest study in history, been going on for over 80 years and set out to determine what is the number one predictor of a long, happy life. And they've been studying these, this first group of people all of these multiple generations, like blood tests, doctor's reports, interviews, all these generations over 80 years, three different directors of the study. Number one predictor of a long, meaning people live the longest, healthiest, happiest, and most successful, all four category life, the quality of our connections, the quality of our relationships. Number one factor, not about where you were born, the family you were born to, if you went to Harvard, which was some of the population for undergrad, inner city, never went to college, didn't even graduate high school, whether you work at a gas station, you're the CEO, all comes down to the quality of our relationships. It's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. All right, Jackie, you've been a phenomenal guest and uh, I will legit be inviting you back. And I really think we Yay. should do that, uh, the happiness buffet. But um, <laughs> I like to end shareable and gratitude. You'll probably love that part. So my yes. book's called The Lovable Leader. And when I say lovable leader, anybody who's had at least a couple jobs, hopefully, or has been to school or had parents or anybody around them, hopefully mm-hmm. thinks of someone that kind of fits the bill. And the way that I tend to describe it kind of quickly and easily is someone who cared about you, obviously, somebody who you trusted. And you got the sense that they trusted you and that they encouraged you to pursue big goals and they gave you a safe space to do it. That's a lovable leader. And what I like to do at this point in the show is mute my microphone. And I'd like you to talk directly to that person if you'd like. And it's Mm -hmm. a chance for you to express your gratitude and thanks for the impact that they had in your life. But I'm invisible through this because this is about you and it's about them. And it's about having an authentic moment to just thank them and be grateful for their impact on you. So you can say as much or as little. You can say nothing at all. You can choose no one. You can choose, but it's one person and you speak directly to them. Well, there's a clear one person for me. That's my mom. And my it's not because my mom was a leader. She didn't work um, since I was born. My sister was born. But my mom was a leader in my life in the way that she 100% supported all of my dreams. She wanted me to be happy and thrive. She wanted to give me everything she could from her to be successful and feel safe. She never had expectations of me that were perfect. Even though I had that tendency that was within me, it wasn't because of her. She accepted me and I felt that acceptance no matter who I was or what I felt or how I showed up. It's got to make me so emotional. This is so interesting. I didn't expect this, um, this question, but yeah, I am so grateful for my mom. She loves so big. She loves so fiercely. Um, I still want to grow up and be a mom like her. 
Um, and she's incredible with my boys. And I, and I do, I try to emulate her as, as a mother and have my boys feel as loved and as safe and as accepted for who they are the way that she um, always and still does give to me. So tell me, what was most valuable or useful for you in this episode? Send me a message or hit me up on social media. I'm easy to find, but there's links in the show notes just to make it easy. Seriously, I'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode, there's a couple things you could do, starting with subscribing to the show. And after that, head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate the show five stars and leave a review. Consider sharing this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. Or just buy me a latte or an old-fashioned by hitting up that tip jar. If you're looking for a good book to read, may I suggest The Lovable Leader, which covers how to build great teams with trust, respect, and kindness. It's built exclusively for brand new managers, and it's a handbook that will serve you well in your journey of leadership. Just search for Lovable Leader wherever books are sold online. And finally, if you're interested in working with me or checking out any of my other projects, go to jgibbard.com. That link, as well as every other link mentioned, will be found in the show notes. Stay safe, be kind, and seriously, share this episode with someone. I'll see you on the next episode of Shareable. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm.